You are listening to the PBL Podcast, Politics and Brown Liquor. Your host here, Eve Vanderbilt, with his trusted canine co-host, Woody, where we bring it to you raw, unfiltered, with no chaser. All right, here we are, Woody. This is the day, man. This is it. It is January 20th, 2021, and as I'm recording this, Joe Biden is being inaugurated into the presidency. He will be the 46th president of the United States. But, Woody, I know your question, man, is how did we get here? How did this happen? Well, now, you can uh, um, make election fraud claims, still you blew in the face. Obviously, the media is not going to follow along with that. Obviously, the media doesn't care about that. Obviously, there are several politicians on both sides of the aisle, particularly the left, obviously, a lot on the right, saying there was no election fraud. Believe it all you want, but that's not how we got here. Now, there are some election shenanigans that helped get us here, but ladies and gentlemen, um, how, did we, how did we go? Allegedly, uh, Biden got 81 million votes and Trump got 74, 75 million votes. Where is how did that Delta happen? Now, that Delta happened because. Well, let me back up a little bit. Um, I believe there's fraud in all elections. And I think the Democrats are the ones who perpetuate mostly the, the fraud. Now, has the right been caught perpetuating fraud? Absolutely the right has done that. But the left, the left has kind of always done that, in my opinion. You can go back to the 1960 election between John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon and, you know, see some irregularities there as well. But uh, I think there's always been fraud, and the Republicans always had to win just a little better, a little, little more to overcome it. I think that's what happened in 2016. So in this election, that didn't happen. How did we get to Biden getting 81 million, Trump 74 million, with Trump getting 11 million more votes this time than last time? Uh, I believe it's because of COVID. I believe the Democrats used that as a wedge. And the I believe also by uh, demonizing Trump for the last four years. I think all of that led to where we are right now. The Democrats won. They used their um, underhanded tactics and they won. Now, now they have to govern. And what's going to happen? Now, I, this is not a solemn day for me. This is a day where we need to stand up, put our shoulders back, and realize that now we've just got to work harder to get this back. Now, I know what a lot of people are thinking, and I get it. If, if the elections aren't secure, how? How do we ever get it back? Well, that's where the fight begins. There's one thing that happened in the election that I think tipped the scales, and that was mail-in ballots. The mail-in ballot piece is the piece that gave Biden the election. In my opinion, if it wasn't for mail-in ballots, we would not be here. It gave them an opportunity to cheat. And yes, I do believe they cheated. And it gave an opportunity for some people who are apathetic that wouldn't vote anyway to vote. So here's what we're going to discuss on today's show. Joe Biden has pretty much laid out his 100-day agenda. So we're going to talk about that. I'm going to give you a leftist perspective on the 100-day agenda, what it really means. And then I'm going to show you what the right looks at uh, as far as Biden's 100-day agenda. And you're going to see what the contrasts are. We'll talk about that. But where are we as a democracy? We're going to talk about that, too. I had a wonderful guest on the show yesterday, Jenny Kirby, who is a historian with a specialty in Russian uh, knowledge just laid out on yesterday's show, and I highly encourage you to listen to that show. And what, where we are, where Russia is at, why why has the left been using Russia as a boogeyman? It all makes sense to me now, at least. So, but let's talk about that. Let's talk about 
the life cycle of democracy, where is America? Where is, are, are some of these other nations? But So if you look at the life cycle of democracy, You've got eight cycles. Now, this has been through the history of time. This is the life cycle of every democracy. And when I say democracy, let's just say uh, governance, so it's a, 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 an intact government, because it's more than just, you know, when we think of democracy, we think of pure democracy. We think of a, a constitutional republic democracy, which we have. Uh, but if you look at communism, if you look at socialism, if you look at fascism, no matter what it is, the every country goes through these cycles. And I talked a little bit about it on the show yesterday with Jenny, but I think it's fascinating. The question that she asked is what really got me thinking. And the question she asked was, who's going to help America? Who's going to help us? We have helped so many nations around the world throughout time to help with their freedom, but who's going to help America and it's a powerful, powerful question. And right now, the answer is, I, you know, nobody knows. And what Jenny posed is, could it be Russia? We'll get into that in a little bit. But here's the life cycle of a democracy: uh, from bondage, it starts in bondage, and from bondage, the democracy goes to spiritual faith. You have the people awakening, and then from spiritual faith, it goes to great courage. From great courage, it goes to liberty. Step number four from liberty goes to abundance. Step number five from abundance to complacency. Number six from complacency to apathy. And number seven, apathy to dependence. And number eight, dependence to bondage. Right back to bondage. It's a vicious cycle. Look at America. Look at the beginnings of America in 1776. Uh, before 1776, we were under bondage from the British Empire. The British Empire ruled the colonies. Now, why, why did we get so pissed off and decide to fight back? It's because the British Empire... At the time, King George had battles throughout the world. He had conflicts throughout the world and he needed money. He needed, he needed to fund these. So he put a tax. He levied more and more tax on the colonies. And the colonies were starting to get really upset. Now, the colonies, if you think about it, if you remember, your, if you know your history, the individuals that came to the colonies came here for religious freedom. So you've got from bondage to spiritual faith. That's Percolating now. We're at step number one in, in the colonies of America. Bondage to spiritual faith. And from spiritual faith, what do you get? You get courage, great courage. Great courage to go up against the British Empire at the time, which was the most powerful empire in the world. I mean, think about it. We should not have won the revolution. The reason we won the revolution, by the way, is Britain had spread itself too thin. That's another story, another show. But from great, from spiritual faith, the great courage that we rose up as a nation and we rose up as a people to fight the tyranny that was at the time the British colony. And from that courage, we got liberty. We, we got the Constitution of the United States. And from then, we started to grow. We started to grow as a country. We got abundance. We went through the Industrial Revolution. Remember, we're free. We're liberated. We're, we're like on this path. So we go through the Industrial Revolution. All of a sudden, the, our wealth of our nation starts growing. And remember, if you look at the Industrial Revolution, why did it happen in America? Why did the Industrial Revolution happen here? Why, not, why didn't it happen in Canada? Why didn't it happen in Ireland? Why didn't it happen in Switzerland? Why didn't it happen in Africa? Why here in America? And the reason here in America is because everything happened at the right moment. You had the potato famine 
which brought in labor. Laborers were flooding to the Americas, uh, to America at that time. So everything was happening. We had the resources, we had, and resources being the materials, the labor. We had the drive because we were a liber liberated country. We had this mentality from liberty to abundance. And then from abundance came compliance. Now, after World War II, America was the powerhouse. America was the number one. We became the world's superpower. There are other superpowers, but America, after World War II, because of what happened with the war, you know, the military-industrial complex was created. Abundance was great. I mean, you got televisions, you've got washers and dryers, you've got the microwave, all this technology, all this emerging uh, technology which led, which started to lead to complacency because now we just expect it. Today, do you not expect to have power windows in your car? Of course you do. Could you imagine having crank windows in your car now? No, you can't. Most of you have never even seen a crank window. We are then we went from abundance to complacency. We like this or comfort. I, I, I mean, I got my television. I can watch what's on TV. I got Netflix. I'm good. Leave me alone. From complacency to apathy. Apathy is you just don't care. I'm, I mean, everything's great in my life. I got my Netflix so, uh, subscription. I get to go watch the Ozarks whenever I want. I mean, yeah, sure. I don't have as much choice as I used to when video stores were around, but I don't care because I can just put it up on my tablet, on my TV, on my phone. I can walk around anywhere on my phone and do just about anything, all my computing. I don't want any trouble. I, I'm comfortable. I like it. And then along comes a pandemic. And the government, the government tells you this pandemic's so bad you can't go to work anymore. You can't go to work. Well, if you can't go to work, you don't get paid. You lose your income. Well, wait a minute. I've lost my income. I'm going to lose my house. So the government steps in. The government says, no, we're going to give you a snippet. Here's a little bit of money. We're going to mandate that right now, remember that right now, right now, the, the, your landlord, your mortgage provider, they can't evict you. You don't worry. We got you on this, the government says. So now you're dependent on the government. You're dependent. And from dependence goes to bondage. So ladies and gentlemen, my belief right now for America is we have one foot coming out of apathy and one foot in dependence. We are at step seven, going into step eight in America. Now, who's going to save us? It was a great question. It was an aha question. So let's look at Russia. Where's Russia on this scale? Now, remember, Russia, the, the communist Russia came into existence in 1917, right? So from 1917, they were a communist nation. We fought the Cold War with them. Reagan broke that. How did Reagan break that? Reagan broke that by spending them into oblivion. He spent them out of existence. That's how Reagan won the Cold War. 1989, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall, we heard. So from 1917 to 1989, Russian communi communist Russia existed, then it went away. So now where is Russia, right? They went from bondage to where? To spiritual faith. Now, we didn't see this because the media is not telling us what's going on in Russia. From spiritual, Russia is the boogeyman. They were the boogeyman in the Cold War. It helped ratings. Leave them the boogeyman. So from spiritual faith, they go to great courage. From great courage, they go to liberty. Where is Russia, do you think, in this picture right now? Could it be courage to liberty? I don't know. I'm asking this question. Please email me at my, my email is the podcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I had a huge aha moment the other day. So if Russia is coming from spiritual faith to great courage to liberty, 
remember where America was in the revolution. We were in the revolution from spiritual faith to great courage to liberty, and we were free of the British Empire. So could it be Russia comes to our rescue somewhere down the road? I don't know. It's a, it's a hell of a question to pose, don't you think? But if you look at the life cycle of a democracy as a nation, my opinion, of course, one foot coming out of apathy, another foot firmly going into dependence. And today, January 20th, 2021, we inaugurate a new administration. And what did the Democrats get with this? They get another branch of government. They now control, after today, two branches of government. We have three branches of government in the United States based on our Constitution of the United States of America, and that third branch of the government is the judiciary. Now, do you think they're going after that? Don't think they're not, because here's what's going to happen. In order for them to get the judiciary, in order for them to get the Supreme Court, in order for the Democrats to change or amend the Constitution of the United States of America, they need two-thirds. They need two-thirds in the Senate, and they need two-thirds of the states. They don't have that. But it doesn't mean they can't get it, and it doesn't mean they can't uh, overturn interpretations of the Constitution of the United States of America. They very much could. They very well can, and they very well will. Because what they're going to do is they're going to stack the courts. Now that they have the Senate, they needed the Senate. They couldn't do this without the Senate. Now that the Democrats have the Senate, Biden will nominate a radical leftist judge. He will, they will stack the court, my opinion, probably, probably four or five, probably four. They need to keep it a, a, an uneven number. But all they need to do is turn it. Right now, it's a 5-4 court. No, it's not a 6-3. You know, Roberts, I used to call him squishy. He's not squishy. It's a 5-4 court. So what did the Democrats need? Well, if they put two more radicals on the court, now it's a 6-5 court towards the Democrats' ideologies. So all they need is two, two radical Supreme Courts. But wait a minute. That's risky. Because what if Roberts, what if Roberts starts swinging back to conservatism or, or constitutionalism, right? Maybe Roberts is a wild card to the Democrats. They've got, they've been able, he's been a wild card to the Republicans and the Democrats have relied on Roberts, but can they continue? So no, they can't because Roberts, maybe something will happen. Maybe, maybe he'll start voting as uh, he was intended when he was put on the bench. So they got to, they got to stack it even more. So they'll put four. So we'll go from 9 to 13. That keeps it an uneven number. And that gives four radicals. So now they got an 8. 8, 5. And if Roberts act wishy-washy on them, you know, kind of switch sides a couple times, well, they still got 7, 6. They still have the courts. This is the intent of what the left is going to do. That's how they get the third branch of government. And they, mark my words, ladies and gentlemen, they want all three. They won't be happy with two branches. They are not. And this is why they're so angry right now. They did not get what they wanted in this last election. They wanted the state legislatures. They wanted them. They were absolutely beside themselves when Trump put um, Amy Coney Barrett on the bench. So that's what we can expect 
from this presidency going forward. They will, and, and by the way, Biden's not in charge. I mean, if you think Biden's in charge, I got a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. It's going to, I'll give it to you cheap, a hundred bucks, and that's it. The bridge is yours. You just send me the money. I'll send you the deed to the bridge if you think Joe Biden is in charge of his very own administration. He is not. If you look at his 100-day, uh, when we're going to go through this here in just a minute, you know, this is all left-wing dreams come true. Biden has been one of the most corrupt politicians in, in government. For 47 years, this man has been pretty much a corrupt politician. In his first race in 1972, running for the Senate, the mob was involved. Now, some will say, well, yeah, Biden didn't do that. Really? The mob, the mob was involved in Joe Biden's first run into government in his senatorial race in 1972. Fast forward to today. Look where we're at. So let's talk about his first 100 days. Uh, NPR, which is uh, not a right-wing bastion of news, right? Everybody's left-wing. I mean, they are part, they're paid for in our tax dollars and are still kind of a left-wing. Here's what they put their, their first 100 days. Here's an article they wrote. The headline is Biden's first 100 days. Here's what to expect. So let's talk about that. The, the first, here's the first four things they roll out in this article in Biden's first 100 days. The first four things. Listen to these first four and tell me if you don't see a pattern. COVID-19, push for immediate coronavirus legislation. COVID-19, release a vaccine distribution plan. COVID-19, listen to science by rejoining the World Health Organization and keeping Fauci as a close advisor. COVID-19 is the first thing they're going to address. COVID-19, assemble a coronavirus task force during his presidential transit. So the first four things said here, what Biden says he'll do on day one or beforehand, the first four things are COVID-19. Now, why COVID-19? Well, look at the scare the left has given you on COVID-19. They have put the fear of death in millions upon millions of people, so much so that people are walking outside alone with nobody else around them wearing a mask. So much so that people are driving in their cars alone with nobody in the car and the windows rolled up wearing a mask. So much so that people drive in a convertible with nobody around wearing a mask. So much so that you are shamed if you go to a store and you don't wear a mask. So the left has put so much in this basket. This is how they won this election. This is a big part of it. This and mail-in ballots, that's going to come up too. So the left, they have to keep this going. They can't just all of a sudden turn around, but they're going to start giving you some morsels because you, you're dependent on the government. So now the left-wing government is saying, oh yeah, I think it's time to open up restaurants. Governor Cuomo up in New York said, I think it's time we need to open up restaurants. These people are hurting. This is the government. You're dependent on the government. You see where we're at in the life cycle, ladies and gentlemen? People were apathetic, and this is what we got. We're going to get dependents. Lori Lightfoot, mayor of Chicago, saying the same thing. Oh, we need to now open up our restaurants. Oh, isn't it funny? Uh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's supposed to be a dark winter. But now the left's going, oh, we got to give them the plebes a little bit. We got to give them something. Let's open up restaurants. That'll give them something. They can go out and they can dine on their favorite dish. Of course, not if their favorite restaurant closed down because the closures, the forced closures put thousands upon thousands upon thousands of restaurants out of business. But you, you, you're dependent on them. They've given you, they're giving you a little, remember? 
apathy to dependence. So the first thing Biden's going to do is address COVID-19 because they're not going to let that go. COVID-19 is how they're going to continue to control you. There will be mask mandates, although as president, he can't institute a mask mandate, but he'll try. He'll work with governors. Some governors will do it. Hopefully the Republican governors, conservative governors won't. DeSantis won't. Noam up in South Dakota won't. But I can't say my governor in the state of Georgia, uh, Brian Kemp, won't. So we're going to get these masks mandated. The masks are not going away. You'll continue to be shamed. And then you're going to, their vaccines will be mandatory. And you go, e, no, wait a minute. The government can't do that. Well, they can't right now. You are correct. However, what they can do is prevent you from doing things like going to concerts, going inside any government buildings without your vaccine card, flying. Can't go see your uncle in California or your grandmother in Florida because you can't fly if you don't have your vaccine card. And yes, they're going to have vaccine cards coming. So at the top of the list, got to perpetuate the COVID thing. Hey, it won him the election. Why wouldn't he, right? Makes sense. I wonder if CNN's going to drop that little uh, bar on the side where it has all the COVID deaths and all the COVID infections. You know, I, I wouldn't surprise me if CNN all of a sudden dropped that because they, you know, they they got to, now it's got to be blissfully. It's got to be nice. Everybody's, we don't want to fear people too much, but we still need to keep them in fear. So let's move on from the list. The first four things on NPR's list of Joe's first 100 days are COVID-19. Next up, oh, right, right here, right at the top of the list, economy. Reverse Trump's corporate tax cut. Biden has pledged that on his first day as president, he will raise corporate income taxes to 28% compared to the current 21% rate set by the GOP-led tax cuts of 2017. But hey, it's big old bad businesses that'll pay that, not you. Well, if you listen to this show, you're smart. You know businesses don't pay taxes. They just pass that on the consumer. So your taxes just went up 7%. That's it. Just day one, you watch. Day one, he says, 7%. Now, as promised, fall, uh, uh, this promise also falls under Biden's larger proposed tax plan, which stresses that Americans making less than $400,000 will not pay more in taxes. Bullshit. Um, corporations don't pay taxes. They pass it on to you. If Biden is going to eliminate or raise the taxes on corporations, you just raise the tax on you. He also said he's going to eliminate Trump's tax cuts. If you paid federal taxes under the Trump administration, you got a tax cut. That's gone. You're getting an increase in your taxes. Don't buy that BS because that's all it is. But the left, the left, this is NPR we're reading from here. It's all peaches and cream, peaches and cream. Those evil corporations will pay, not you. Moving on, environment. Make the U.S. an international leader on climate change. Oh, well, there goes a global tax. Remember that. I'm going to bring that up later. So now we're going to start paying into this nonsense. Biden said he's going to put us back in the Paris Accord. And all that means is we're going to have to abide by the rules, which means it's going to hurt us economically because we're going to have to somehow change how we spend our energy. And what I mean by that is, the, the, the Paris Accord sets certain dates of where we have to be uh, in emissions, certain, cer certain all these, I forget what you call it, the, the, you know, where you have to have cleaner air, only this much emissions and all that. Well, other countries don't have that problem. In fact, America, by re-entering into this agreement, will pay them money to offset other countries that are poor and just can't 
do it right now. China is not affected by this. They won't have to do this. But so we're going to be the international leaders on climate change, which once again, your energy prices are going to go up. Uh, your taxes are going to go up. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but your gas prices have gone up. Mine have about 20 cents today. I noticed it from yesterday today. I saw a gas station near where I live, 209 yesterday, 229 today. That's only going to get worse. Um, and by the way, that's all they say about climate change. They don't say that Biden also said that he's going to, it's not in this article, that he's going to shut off the XL pipeline on day one. That was another promise that he, he gave recently. Now, what does that do? Ladies and gentlemen, America, for the first time under President Trump, was energy independent. We exported more oil than we were consuming. We were actually selling our oil, our excess. We had excess to sell and make money. And we had this agreement with Canada for the XL pipeline. Now we're going to cut that off. And guess what? Canada saying, well, well, wait a minute. That, that, that hurts us economically. Can, can the Canadian company has a contract with the American company. And all of a sudden, our government says, it's turned off. Sorry, 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 Canada. So sorry, 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 not sorry is really what they're saying. So Canada's threatening to sue us because this now hurts them economically. Now, the company in Canada, not the country, because Canada is also a left-wing country, which they'll probably step in and stop that country from that company from suing America. But anyway, now we go back to Russia. Yeah, I know. Isn't that weird? We go back to Russia. We just gave Russia a, a huge paycheck if we do this, and we're going to do this. So it's going to happen. And Russia, one of their largest economic stimulus, stimulus program is, or, or economic uh, commodities, if you will, is oil. When the oil prices go down, Russia, it hurts Russia. It hurts the Middle East. It hurts all of those Muslim countries, those, the Saudis. It hurts all of them. It hurts Venezuela. Because oil prices, when they go down, these are oil-producing countries they lose money if this is the largest export. It hurts them very much. It hurts them. We just gave Russia a huge paycheck, a huge paycheck by doing this. Keep that in mind. We'll bring Russia back up in this conversation today. So you've got that. Uh, then you've got extend the voting right acts. Oh, E, come on, man. Extend the voting right acts. That's a good thing. Here's what he says. Biden has pushed for the passage of laws to strengthen the Voting Rights Act. Legislation to do so passed the U.S. House last year, but not the Senate. Biden advocated for extending the original 60, 1965 legislation following the death of civil rights icon rep John Lewis of Georgia. You're like, oh, that's a good thing. The Civil Rights Act of 1965 was a good thing. Yes, it was, but there was a provision in there that was blocked in the Senate. What they were talking about was Section 4 and 5. And here's what Section 4 and 5 is of the Voting Rights Act. It required that jurisdictions with a history of racial discrimination seek federal approval before changing their voting laws. Let me read that to you again and, 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 and let this sink in. Uh, key parts of the act, sections four and five, require that jurisdictions with a history of racial discrimination seek federal approval before changing their voting laws. Now, you've got to put the big picture when you're talking about Democrats. They get this. They know what they're doing. They're very methodical. They're devious, they're evil, but they're very methodical. They know what ha what's happening. Right now, as is written under the Constitution of the United States of America, um, states, the local states legislature, the state legislatures decide who and how or how presidential elections are processed. That 
authority falls on the state legislatures. That was the biggest issue coming out of this election because some states changed their rules without getting the state legislatures to approve. The state legislatures control how we elect our presidents state by state. It is not written into the Constitution of the United States of America that or how states or how a president is elected. That was punted, as some say, to the state legislatures. I've talked about this on the show before. It's very important to understand. So when they say where it requires jurisdictions with a history of racial discrimination to seek federal approval before changing the voting laws, what they're saying is those states, those southern states that vote conservative or for Republican, we get to go control them now because they're going to have to they're going if they want to change anything they got to come through us the federal government now if they have to come through us the federal government how who's to say the federal government's not going to go to them and say we think you should do this we think you should change your your voter registration we think you should change how you do mail-in ballots and you're thinking hey, no they can't do that oh really I'm going to explain here in a minute how they can. But the piece here that should scare everybody is history of racial discrimination. Who has a, what states in the United States have histories of racial discrimination that you learned of in high school, junior high maybe, college maybe? Well, that would be those southern states, right? Now, who, <coughs> excuse me, who by gosh did that? Now, let's look at our history. Democrats, the party of slavery. Democrats, the party of segregation. Democrats, the party of Jim Crow. Democrats, the party of the KKK. Hmm. Let's see. So that means the federal government, if this passes, goes to Georgia, Alabama, Kentucky, all those southern states and says, guess what? <laughs> you guys, you have histories of racial discrimination. Therefore, we want you to do this. Now, again, let's go back. You said, wait a minute, E, hold on. They can't just tell the states what to do. This says the states have to get approval from them if they want to change it. Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 my dear plebes. No, 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 no. Uh, let's take the uh, example of HOVs. I mentioned this on the show the other day. The federal government has a stack of money they want to give you. You are a state. And you pick a state. Let's say the state of Alabama. Um, you, you know what? Let's go. Let's say the state of Mississippi, allegedly the poorest state in the union. That's what the media likes to say. The state of Mississippi. A lot of racial um, uh, issues there back in the 60s, right? So the state of Mississippi, uh, uh, you know, the federal government goes, here, I got this big pile of money I want to give you. And uh, I want to give you this big pile of money but I need you to do something for me. The state goes, well, what? We, we want that big pile of money for infrastructure, but what do we got to do? You got to do HOV lanes. What? HOV lanes haven't been proven really to work. We don't really like it. Our people don't like it. Okay, then we'll just take our big pile of money away. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, um, uh, where do we have to put these HOV lanes again? And there you go. That's how the federal government shakes down a state. So here's what's going to happen. The federal government's going to come in. I got this big pile of money I'd like to give you. States goes, you know, we really could use that big pile of money for infrastructure and education and all that. Yeah, yeah. And I want to give you this big pile of money, but I need you to do something for me. Okay, uh, what is it? Well, I need you to open up this mail-in ballot thing. You mean like last time? That was pretty controversial. People didn't like it. Our constituents, they didn't like it. In fact, they were pretty angry. Okay, well, we'll just take our big pile of money away. No, no, wait, 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 wait. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it because I want that big pile of money. If you don't think that doesn't happen, that absolutely happens. So that's where th why they want to extend the Voting Rights Act. That's exactly what they want to use it for. Let's move on. Here we go.
the next three things here, let's see if it's four. The next four things, sorry, let's see if it's five. The next four things, immigration, stop family separation, U.S. Mexican voter. Okay, didn't happen. And by the way, let's talk about that one real quick. Immigration, stop family separation, the U.S. border. I'm sorry, people. You have to put, you have to be realistic here and understand the horror that happens on our U.S. border. And the horror that happens is uh, they use children to get to, to get illegal people through. So an illegal male, let's say a, a, a criminal from the cartel wants to come over the border, he'll grab a child, say the child's his, and he'll get preferential cheap treatment. Or they traffic children in for this sex trafficking. Okay, that happens. That's a real, it's real, that's real. And here they want to do, the Democrats want to eliminate stop family separation. The reason we separated families, our U.S. border, is to verify they were, in fact, Sam families, if they were, they were put back together. This is a dangerous, dangerous thing for those fam those children in the southern in, in Central and South America. Sex trafficking is a real issue and this is going to exasperate that. This is so bad, it's borderline evil. They're either blissfully ignorant or purposefully evil in this. This is horrible. I can't stress it enough. This is sex trafficking of children this will uh, this will ex this will ease that if you will and I, I mean this one is just i'm beside myself on this one because i understand what's happening and most people should as well because the sex trafficking of children is the most vile and vicious evil thing that one can do you are an absolute evil person if you do this and it happens this is bad policy. Uh, number two, immigration. End Trump's executive order banning travels from some Muslims, some Muslim majority countries. So in other words, those, those countries that are ran by radical Islamists, well, they can send their people to America now but, because we're back. We're back. And, hey, notice how Trump's, and it wasn't a Muslim ban. I'm, I'm really surprised NPR didn't say end Trump's Muslim ban. Uh, but notice that it worked. I mean, you notice that? How soon before we have another attack? on our nation from radical Islam. That's sad, isn't it? Uh, so this is what Biden says he'll do during his first 100 days. Again, immigration. Reverse a slew of Trump policies, including the construction of the wall. They like walls in Washington, D.C., by the way, but walls on our border, bad, bad, bad thing. Bad, bad, bad. Now we get into criminal justice reform. Incl increase Police reform. Now, so police are automatically, they're going to put on a bad list. So they increase police reform. In response to the national outcry that erupted over police killings of George Floyd and other black Americans, Biden said he will institute a national police oversight commission within his first 100 days of taking office. Congratulations. Uh, if you want to be a police officer, you're going to change your career. Uh, it's not, I, I mean, I, I, you know, the men and women in blue, most, the majority of them are honest people. They're in it for the right reasons. They want to protect and serve. It's not a high-paying job. It's not, you know, it's not a high-profile job. They're doing it for a cause. And how many more, how many now are going to decide not to go into that profession because of this? I wouldn't. I mean, you see it already where the police are refusing to go into certain neighborhoods because they, they know their, their cities, their government just doesn't have their back. This is going to make it worse. Criminal justice. Enact comprehensive criminal justice reform. You know what Trump's been doing, but not. No, I mean, uh, now, now it's going to get even worse. Now, what Trump has been doing is, is helping, you know, low, you know, I don't have the specifics in front of me, but, you know, it was a bag of marijuana. You serve more time than a bag of cocaine. You know, that's in case Hunter Biden was caught up in that, right? 
So because, you know, if he was caught with his crack, well, his cocaine. But anyway, uh, Trump's been changing that. He's been getting people out of uh, jail. Angela Stanton King is a perfect example of that here in the Atlanta market. Without what Trump was doing in criminal justice reform, she'd still be in prison. Instead, not only did he really get her out of prison, he also uh, gave her a pardon. She was able to run for a Congress seat here in Georgia. She lost, unfortunately. Hopefully she keeps uh, in the fight and st runs again. So we're going to have that, which, you know, it, it, you know, it's just going to be haywire. And this is what uh, they said about Biden's criminal justice reform. As the first steps in a set of goals addressing prison reform and crime prevention, Biden says he will quickly push Congress to pass the Safe Justice Act proposed by Rep. Bobby Scott. Now, the Safe Justice Act, if you read the act, you know, it sounds good. Reduce recidivism, uh, concentrate prison space on violent and career criminal by focusing mandatory minimum sentences on leaders and supervisors of drug trafficking organizations. That all sounds good. Safely expanding the drug trafficking safety valve and exception to mandatory minimum. That all sounds good. Uh, increase use of evidence-based sentencing alternatives. What? Say that again. Increase use of evidence-based sentencing alternatives by encouraging Really? Encouraging? Wishy-washy word. Greater use of probation and problem-solving courts for appropriate offenders? What the hell does that even mean? Uh, increased use of evidence-based sentencing alternatives by creating a performance incentive funding program to better align the interests of the Bureau of Prisons and U.S. probation officers. That's about as wishy-washy they get, so that means a slush fund of money. Curtail criminalization by requiring regulatory criminal uh, offenses to be compiled and published to the public. Okay. Ensure physical impact statements are attached to all future sentencing and correction proposals. Okay. And cha charging the Department of Justice, the Bureau of Prisons, and administrative offices of the courts with collecting key outcome performance measures. Bureaucrat nonsense. Just and, and it reduced crime by investing in evidence-based crime prevention ini initiatives and increasing funding for community-based policing and public. It all sounds good, but at the end of the day, it's nothing but wishy-washy leftist claptrap to create bureaucracies to uh, redefine what sentencing should be, what crimes are. It, it, it's there's so much wishy-washy in that Safe Justice Act that we should never allow anything like that to become law. But it will be. That's what he's going to do. Foreign policy. <laughs> Repair alliances and plan a global summit from a democracy. The, you know, people, foreign countries are laughing at us for what's going on in our election. Absolutely. You know, this is what they said. Biden has said he intends to pick up the pieces of Donald Trump's broken foreign policy. You know, Trump's foreign policy has been phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal. It's probably the biggest success of his administration is his foreign policy. Four peace deals brokered in the Middle East under this president in his four years in office. No one has ever done that before. No president has done it. John Kerry famously said there'll never be peace in the Middle East without a compromise for Palestine. Well, guess what, Kerry? It happened. It happened because of Trump. So this is going to go nowhere. I think I believe Joe Biden's foreign policy will be his biggest failure in his administration. I think he everything about foreign policy he has been wrong on. So you, you know, I'll do a show on it maybe, but he has been wrong on every foreign policy. He didn't want Trump, um, ba, uh, Obama to go get bin Laden. He actually advised him against it. Remember that? So this is, this is just all wishy-washy nonsense.
Uh, other potential early steps, economic major investments in the U.S. and economy to boost domestic growth, uh, environment start on a $2 trillion climate plan. Oh, there's your Green New Deal right there. There it is. Uh, healthcare build on the Affordable Care Act if it isn't too late, whatever the hell that means. In other words, your mandates are going to come back. Uh, you're going to have to pay that fee, that fine. Uh, education, make first moves in large education agenda because the Democrats have uh, done so well in uh, spending money on education, right? They've done so well that um, education standards have gone through the roof because Democrats have thrown so much money at education. What? What, Woody? Really? Oh, oh, oh. Um, actually, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. I have to make a correction. Uh, yes, the De- Woody is informed me. He is the dog's budman of the show. Uh, the Democrats have thrown gobs and gobs of money at education, but uh, Woody just told me that the actual education standards and scores have gone down. We're, we're actually worse off than we were because so now, but if they throw more money, Woody's concern is it's just going to get worse. And Woody, you're probably right. Now let's look at the right side of this. Um, and this Senator, Senator um, Marsha Blackburn out of Tennessee, um, I like her. I, I, she's she's pretty solid. Uh, you know, she's very logical. But so here's what she said. Uh, she was with Greg Jarrett on Lou Dobbs' show, and this is what she said in the first 100 days agenda: cancel the Trump tax cuts. Oh, we heard that, right? We heard that. Uh, raise corporate taxes. We heard that. Uh, add a carbon tax. Yeah, that's that uh, that Paris Accord, ladies and gentlemen. Uh huh. Add global taxes again. Climate Paris Accord. That's going to add a global tax. Now he wasn't. Uh, Biden didn't come out and say he's going to do a carbon tax. This is Blackburn suggesting that he might. He may not. But global taxes. She's spot on because you got to understand. She can sit there and say Biden's going to increase global taxes, and the left's going to go, No, he's not. He hasn't said anything. Oh no, no, no. When you re-enter the Paris Accord. And you have to pay all that money to help all these other companies, these countries that are too poor to do it themselves and pay to offset your emissions. That's a global tax, ladies and gentlemen. Implement the Green New Deal. Um, did I not just say that, uh, here it is, environment, start a $2 trillion climate plan. There's your Green New Deal. She's not wrong about that. Uh, everyone will be under government-run health care. Everyone, including seniors, will be on Medicaid. We know that's coming, and that's what they're talking about, Obamacare. All private sector health care will be eliminated. Now, that one's interesting. I was thinking about it when I read that, that the health care companies um, colluded. Uh, okay, maybe I shouldn't use that word. I'll backtrack that word. Worked with the Democrats on uh, Obamacare because it was a beautiful storm for them. The private healthcare companies were uh, guaranteed uh, a revenue stream through Obamacare. Well, you had to go through them. So they're, they're like guaranteed money. It's like the, the companies that are making the vaccine for the, the COVID. It's a guaranteed revenue stream for them. Uh, the government's paying for it. You're not paying for it. But, you know, let's say it's only 25 bucks a pop is what the government pays. That's 25 bucks a pop that these COVID vaccine manufacturers are get. Hundreds of millions of people, maybe more. They're making a mint, a huge revenue stream. And all they got to do is say this stuff works. Go. Go here, you go here, you go. Uh, so, I think in this case, the healthcare companies, those giant healthcare companies, will somehow be taken over by government. 
inching towards socialism, ladies and gentlemen. That's how I believe private sector healthcare will be eliminated. But the Democrats want that anyway. They want single payer. So she's not wrong about that. Expand the Supreme Court. I mentioned that. Uh, we already had a diatribe about that. They will expand the Supreme Court. I guarantee it they will. Uh, give statehood to a city, D.C., and a foreign territory, Puerto Rico. They will do that. This way, that expands the Senate. It's all about the Senate. The, that move right there is for Senate purpose. They'll get a few more Congress critters, but they'll get four senators. And I've read somewhere that Puerto Rico it may go uh, one senator being Republican, one senator being Democrat. I don't believe it's going to happen. I believe both will be Democrat. I believe that's four senators. That'll get them closer to that two-thirds majority in the Senate that they need to overturn the Constitution, ladies and gentlemen. That's their end game. That's their play on this. They don't care about D.C. They don't care about Puerto Rico. They care about power. Uh, and the last bullet is pathway to a guaranteed minimum income, universal basic income, which is communism. Uh, it is why Democrats won't. It, it is why Democrats won't open up. So, absolutely. Remember, uh, apathy to dependence, dependence to bondage, bondage. A guaranteed minimum income. Biden said, first day, $15 an hour. It'll crush small businesses. Big business love this because they're, again, their guaranteed revenue stream. Who succeeds in China? Big business. And when they don't, government puts their foot on the neck until they acquiesce. Jack Ma, one of the world's richest men in the world, Chinese business entrepreneur, uh, Alibaba, uh, is it Alibaba? Or, uh, I forget the name of it. He has a website or a, a commerce e-site similar to Amazon, and it's huge. It's made him a very wealthy man. Went missing for like a month, a month gone. And before he went missing, he came out and, and against something with the Chinese government. I forget what it was. And now all of a sudden he's back. Everything's good. We're good. We're good. Chinese government put their foot on his neck. He acquiesced. Now he's back. This is where we are heading. We are heading. Here it is again. I can't stress this enough. This is the life cycle of the democracy from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependence, and from dependence back into bondage. You don't think that's not what's going on? That's where we, the world, how the world works. You haven't paid attention to history, as I've mentioned. Those who refuse to learn their history are doomed to repeat it. Now I go back to my show yesterday with Jenny, Jenny Kirby. Highly encourage you to listen to that show. It's a great show. I mean, I had a lot of aha, I mean, the aha moments I had was based on what the left has done these last four years with Russia. Even before then, but let's just take these last four years, they have demonized Russia. Russia's the boogeyman. Russia's going to continue to be the boogeyman. Why is Russia the boogeyman? Russia's the boogeyman because Russia, if you look at the life cycle of, the life cycle of democracy, is Russia coming into liberty? Are they going from great courage to liberty? And if they go to abundance, who does that upset? Well, that upsets the United States. That upsets China. We can't, you can't allow Russia to go into abundance. You can't allow that. They're, they're a nuclear power. If they get into abundance, what could, they, what could they achieve? You can't have them come help America. Not if you're the one putting your citizens in bondage. So from liberty to abundance, from courage to liberty. So Russia is the bad guy. 
right? They've been vilifying Russia as well as Trump for all these four years Trump has been in office and vilifying Russia even prior to that. And now all of the sudden, all of the sudden it's making sense why they've done that. Uh, if you start looking at some stories out of Russia, and again, Jenny sent me this one, is uh, in Russia. Look at this headline. Russia's Putin wants traditional marriage and God in constitution. It, it is among several constitutional amendments proposed by Mr. Putin, which are set to be put, put to a public vote. Critics see the proposal as a move by Mr. Putin to keep a hold on power after his presidential term ends in 2024. They see that as a way to hold on power. The critics see that, right? The critics see him writing into the constitutional amendment to, uh, for traditional marriage and God is a way for Mr. Putin to hold on to power. That's what his critics say. And the package includes a proclamation of Russia's faith in God and a ban on giving away any Russian territory. So are we at a moment in the world, in the history of mankind, where there's a huge shift that is happening? I'm beginning to believe so. In fact, I'm going to come around and say, I believe so. I believe America, as mentioned, has one foot coming out of apathy and the other foot stepped into dependence. And from dependence, we go to bondage. Now, the question is, as Jenny Kirby posed on the show yesterday, who, who's going to help America? We've helped all these nations throughout history of time, World War II, World War I, Middle East. We've kept the peace. Who helps us? It's a powerful question, just a powerful question. And then the other question to ask is, if we have one foot coming out of apathy and the other foot already stepped into dependency, can it be reversed? And I guess the question is, has it ever been reversed? And I'm not sure. I, I, I'm, I'm scanning through my memory of history, and I'm looking at all the major uh, nations, all the fallen nations in history. Has any of them ever survived this? And the answer is no. Um, the United States has been the longest-running democracy in the history of the world. And... 200 and what, 40, uh, 54 years? No, 44 years. 244 years. And we're, for, we're almost 50 years past our prime on this. Can we reverse it? Will we be the only nation in the history of mankind that can reverse this cycle, this life cycle of a democracy? That's the question. And it's a difficult one to answer because right now, it doesn't look good. Democrats are the party that will have all branches of government very soon. And they're not interested in your freedom. They're not interested in your faith. They're not interested in your liberty. They want power and they've taken it and they're not going to let go. Last, the last point to make on that, and we'll wrap up uh, today's show, is the Democrats had both houses of Congress early on in the Obama administration, and they punted. 
they didn't take advantage of what they had and they will not make that mistake again. This I guarantee you because they could have expanded the Supreme Court then. They could have made D.C. and Puerto Rico um, uh, states then and they would have got closer and closer to their goals. They realized that mistake and they have been plotting since that mistake to come back more powerful and stronger than before. Uh, this whole thing with the election didn't happen in 2020, though. This, this thing with the election, the election, sorry, uh, was actually seeded back in 2010 when the Obama administration pretty much created Dominion. Dominion was a small, nothing company in 2010. And the Obama's Department of Justice uh, broke up another voting uh, election company. Um, uh, I forget the name of it. Um, Diebold was, I think, part of it, but it was another three-letter name. And uh, through uh, the Department of Justice, they said they through, and I'm drawing a blank on the process they used, but they were close they were too big they were monopoly type and they had to break them up and so what they did is they sold those parts to dominion now we don't know how much they sold them i couldn't find that information it may be out there i just maybe couldn't find it but i'm sure it was a fire sale price it may have been for free so all of a sudden dominion's got a much larger piece and so he, so in 2010 that happened and also in 2010 dominion voting bought a company from Smartmatic. Now, they say they didn't buy it from Smartmatic. Smartmatic is that company, that voting company that was created from two Venezuelan Venezuelan uh, people that helped Hugo Chavez. Allegedly, we'll say it, but they offshooted a company that was um, um, doing business in America. And in 2010, Smart uh, Dominion bought that company as well as got the remains of the company, the Department of Justice, Obama's Department of Justice, broke up and the next thing you know dominion is a big player in the voting world that was 2010 fast forward to 2020 now the, in 2016 they were using dominion machines in 2020 way more dominion machines now i'm not going to sit here and say dominion did anything because you know what i don't want one of their letters from their lawyers but you can't deny the fact that the democrats have been laying ground for a long time they're they they play the long game ladies and gentlemen and they realized in the early terms of the Obama presidency, where they had two years, where they had all, all the both houses of Congress and the presidency, they did not quick enough, and they not they will not make that mistake again. It is going to be a bumpy two years, as I've been saying. Gird your loins, gird your loins, ladies and gentlemen. We have got to turn this tide, and the only way to do this: stay strong, stay vigilant. Stay informed. Don't get sucked into any more apathy. Apathy, the time for apathy is over. The time for not caring is over because that is what's leading us into dependence. Can we turn this tide? Can we, can we change the life cycle of a democracy, the historical life cycle of a democracy? Any nation can, it would be America. And if we can't, who's going to help us? Who's going to help us? So again, thank you for listening to this episode of the PBL Podcast, Politics and Brown Liquor. 
please do visit our website, thepblpodcast.com, and help us beat big tech in the algorithms by liking, sharing, following, give us a five-star rating, and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Cannot emphasize the subscribe piece more than anything. And if you want to keep conservative voices going, any platform you are listening to them on, subscribe. Even if you don't listen to them often, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. It's the one thing in the big tech's algorithm that you can do for free to help the show and offset what they are trying to do. Today, as I record this, Twitter has already um, suspended or eliminated 60 followers of my account. Every day, it's 100 to 150 every single day. Big Tech is suppressing your voice, and you can stop them by beating them at their own game on their own algorithm. Again, like, follow, share, give a five-star rating, and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the PBL Podcast, Politics and Brown Liquor.